and welcome to POMcast, the podcast brought to you by that knitting magazine, Pom Pom Quarterly. I'm Sophie Scott, and joined as ever with... Lydia Gluck! Hi guys! Me. So, we hope you're well and happy. This is a slightly different format to the podcast. Mm-hmm. You might have heard in our last episode, our lovely producer is on paternity leave. He sure is. So, to bring you a new interesting format, yes, less chatters from us, mm. and we have a recording from POMfest. Yes, so um, during POMFest we had exciting talks uh, from a range of pom-pom pals uh, and we additionally had some Knitters in the Round panel discussions hosted by Anna Maltz. Mm -hmm. Um, You might have seen our Knitters in the Round YouTube live debate. Pussy chat. Exactly, which was about the pussy hats, which you might remember from the beginning of this year, uh, 2017, for those of you who are far in the future. Hashtag 2017. Um, yes, so for uh, POMFest, we had Anna host some other interesting discussions with interesting knitting pals. Indeed, and this is the recording from Friday, if you want the context. Mm-hmm. Imagine that day back in July. A Friday afternoon, people are knitting and watching people chat. Yep. Maybe you're knitting and listening to us chat. Indeed. So uh, Anna is joined by Emily Vessel of Tin Can Knits, mm-hmm. Olga Baraya Kafelian, who's a of. fantastic... Of designer Olga Jazzy. Of Olga Jazzy, yep. yeah, a knitting designer. Sonia Bajorowska, who is of Blacker Yarns, mm-hmm. uh, like marketing yep. of uh, Blacker Yarns, and Emily Foden of Viola Yarns. So imagine those guys all sat around a table. Literally um, a round table. Yes, exactly. Well, I don't know if it was literally, but, you know, a round table discussion. Yes, yes. Um, yes, so Anna Maltz, who is, of course, our regular columnist, um, for the magazine. She chats with yarn aficionados about the industry that we uh, work in and she covers many and varied ways that we work with wool. Um, so hand dyers, for example, that's Emily. Hand knit designers, that's Olga. Um, Emily Wessel, of course, also a designer. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and Sonia. Probably more industry leanings with blacker. Yeah, but... more like mill-style production yeah. of yarns, but still a small, um, a smaller business yep um yeah so this discussion was called where there's wool there's a way so it's exploring the ideas uh, so with issue 21 obviously it's five years of pom-poms so the discussion sort of focused on how the wool industry had changed in this five years mm. and where it's going and um yeah the talk uh, starts with each panel member um sort of discussing what where they were five years ago mm. yeah and, and uh, uh, how things have changed both in their uh, working lives yeah. and in the industry as a whole and I think there's also a little bit about what they see happening in the future sure yeah um, yeah so I think you guys will enjoy this a lot it's five really interesting people um, and you just get like the pomfest vibe the buzz oh, yeah. in the background so enjoy But I moved to England and worked for John Arvin Textiles in their mill for almost three years, um, which was obviously a pretty big change. And since then, have returned and picked up where I left off and I think grown and changed and, uh, but have sort of come full circle, I guess, more or less in five years, which is sort of interesting. All knitting related though. Um, So five years ago, I was actually like picking up the needles again for the first time. Um, And mostly because I was sort of wooing my partner of the time who wanted a Doctor Who scarf. 
So I sort of went and picked up the needles and gave it a go and then, um, yeah, just sort of took it a bit too seriously, I guess. And I spent two years working at Loop in London and then three years ago I got a job at Blackie Yarns, um, sort of managing uh, a Mills kind of yarn brand. Uh, the mill is based in Cornwall, it's called the Natural Fibre Company and they have a retail yarn brand and that's what I now manage, so it's great fun. Great. I'm Anna. Um, five, five years ago today I think I was sort of just working out like, oh, I've knitted all of these really weird art things, like these full body suits and stuff, and I don't really want to do that anymore. But I've got all of this sort of knitting knowledge of how to knit things that you don't get patterns for. What do I do with this? And it was just before I went and taught 25 women on the side of a mountain in the Philippines how to knit as part of setting up a livelihood project. Um, just around when I started Instagram, I hadn't put a pattern on Ravelry yet, and I hadn't started writing for Pom Pom yet. Um, and so now I'm sort of juggling self-publishing patterns, working on a lot of collaborations with people, um, and traveling to interesting places where I get to teach knitting and then be part of that knitting, see what, how that knitting community works briefly. So that's, yeah. Emily? Do I need to turn it on? Ah, works. They magically do that. Um, Five years ago, I was, um, we, my business partner Alexa and I had started Tin Can Knits and, and written our first book, and I was debating whether to quit my part-time minimum wage job and like go all in. And now we have a few more, five or six more print books to our name, and I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so things have changed a lot in my personal life, but the business has grown with my family and just looking forward to the next design I get to make. Hi. Five years ago, I was still living in Japan as a spouse to my military spouse. Um, and I was designing remotely from home. Um, I have been working on the book that's been now published, uh, probably the longest title that ever taken me, three years. Uh, the capsule collection were Brooklyn Tweed that was published in 2015 and um, now I'm back in the United States and uh, things have changed a lot uh, so sort of adjusting where the pattern business is these days and uh, what type of designs I want to design and what I want to contribute to the knitting world and what for it to be different but also where do I move on from this uh, excitement of living in a foreign country and um, taking an inspiration with me and still accumulating more inspiration and just transforming into my designs going further. There's just so many things that are different and living in the United States these days, as many of you probably see. And uh, we're so spoiled in a way of varieties that are products that are reviewed like right in front of us. Um, just hoping to discover the next it thing and um, do my little contribution to the world. Just hoping, educate, and maybe create more new knitters or inspire other knitters as well. 
So I think what we like to do is the structure of this. It's a conversation between us, but also you. So we've come up with questions that we'll ask each other. If that sparks something in you, that you have a question, there is a roving microphone. So we will take questions at the end, but if something totally burning popped up in the middle and you can catch the attention of the microphone, you can, you can slip it in too. So, should we go to questions? Yeah. And, and my, the first question I wanted to start with was what we all thought was possible now that wasn't possible five years ago. Um, we sort of see the numbers of knitters grow and there's been this sort of balance between like, oh, it's not our private thing anymore, but it's good that there's more people doing it and sort of more people makes more things possible, but a stronger community also makes more things possible. So do you, can I still go this way around? <laughs> Unless somebody, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think, I suppose our growing community has certainly obviously made it possible to be in touch and be inspired by so many more people. I know five years ago, Ravelry was wonderful. I would spend a lot of time, far too much time, looking at patterns and daydreaming, but it's that, it's, I, I think the inspiration is not over capacity for me, certainly. I love it, keep it coming. Um, but it's so much greater and I have to take an even bigger step back to, and certainly take a lot more time to process everything that's coming through. So perhaps uh, it's time consuming, but of course. Um, no, I like, I like having the almost overstimulation of so much going on, certainly so many patterns. You've also made a, looking at your blog and things, I think mm. that you've made an interesting choice recently thinking about that capacity that's possible and the capacity of growth and the temptation of growth of how much you die. Yes. And there are different ways of dealing with that. And I've been really interested to read your take of deciding to work to your own capacity rather than grow to your potential market capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was um, a decision that was really a long time coming and I'm sure I was just in denial about for a really long time. And I thought, I still, well, I still have the expectation that I should be able to do everything and there's time for everything, which there is certainly not. So um, I finally did reach a point where I um, admitted to myself, I suppose, that the, uh, not integrity, but I am pretty particular about how I would like the yarn to look when it's finished and how it's presented and what goes into the colors and how that happens. And if I were to cross over into producing any larger quantities of yarn, I think everything that makes my yarn the way I want it to be and what I think is special about it would be compromised. So that was, that was what I had to figure out. And I think it took me a pretty long time to do that, but there was a big sense of relief when I finally came to that. So with the growing demand that is so wonderful and thrilling and um, 
yeah, fantastic. I find, it still happens to me, I get like, woo, swept up, and I think I have to keep up with everything, but then I can keep coming back to this uh, fact that I actually figured out something useful that's helping me now. <laughs> and then you sort of see that growth yeah. in a different Definitely. Um, Blackie Yarns, for those of you who don't know, we specialize in kind of breed-specific British yarn. Um, and for that, we have been growing sort of a fair bit in the last three years. But I think, again, um, just with the nature of what we do, we want to buy the sort of most special fiber we can, and we buy from small producers rather than through the wool board. And so, again, it comes down to that, you know, we can only make so much, and with the mill, we have to balance production of sort of our own brand stuff and other things. And I think, for me, it's definitely really important to just make sure that we're producing the right kind of quality and that we're keeping things interesting and innovative rather than just making more because there's a demand for it. And I think that's one of the things that I love most about the knitting industry and maybe how it's changed in the last five years is it's no longer kind of dictated by these really big brands because of social media and because of Ravelry and Instagram as well now. I think a small brand can be just as important and just as influential as a large one. And so I think there are a million and one different niches and every knitter is into things that are slightly different. And so it's really, if you decide what is right for you as a business owner or as a brand, then there will be someone who's interested in that as long as you're happy with the quality of it. So that's sort of what I love is, you know, every stall in that market is different. And I think that's wonderful, you know, and people don't want to knit the same project. It would be boring to have 12 of the same sweaters, that's not why we knit. So that versatility, I think, is something that's really grown in the last five years. And you recently were on, on the Pomcast. Yeah. And you also talked about sort of a growing interest in breed-specific yeah. yarns and things. Do you have any feeling of, like, will that continue to grow? Where do you think that's come from? I think, again, it's just come from that desire to use something different, you know? I mean, um, we all have a lot of yarn, and we've all seen a lot of yarn, and it's, for me, the thing that keeps me excited is when I stumble across something that's just completely different from anything I've ever seen before. Um, and so I think that's what breed-specific yarn offers to people. Before I started working at Blacker, I wasn't very familiar with breed-specific yarn at all. And so it was amazing to just see all these different breeds because, you know, that's what the brand had been doing before I started. And it was amazing to kind of, some of them are really kind of wiry and have this amazing sort of textural quality. And then like a Wensleydale or a Teeswater, all those luster breeds, they have really long hair. And when you worsted spin it, it looks almost like silk. And I just never even conceived that a sheep could look like silk, you know? And so I think it's just that sort of desire for something different. But then also it's about, um, you know, again, knitting for me is about doing something that's real. You know, we increasingly live in this kind of technology-driven, big capitalist sort of 
machine and it's just nice to sorry <laughs> um, and it's just nice to do something real and so I think the breed specific yarn and somebody kind of standing and saying these are my sheep and I've had it spun by a mill and this is what it is and having that direct communication with someone on a trade stand is just invaluable it's amazing <laughs> um, and pattern wise I think that might I think that, um, like, I think the thing that's changed a lot for me and from my perspective is the immediacy and the use of social media as a way to communicate with our audience. Um, it's maybe just my personal journey. My business partner, Alexa, is the one who started our Insta Instagram account years ago. And, and she really, it was her personal account to begin with. And then it started to become Tin Can Knits. It became our business account over time. And I think that the immediate um, access to your audience and, and that's the like 70,000 people at this yeah, point. It's so a pretty big list when you nowadays. Look at an audience there. Um, I think that's what's changed for us personally. I, there's pros and cons that come along with it because we're, you always try to, to walk the line, right? We want to communicate um, kind of authentic things, like authentic feelings and the way we feel about knitting and our love of it and share in a way that's going to inspire people. Um, but like where do you draw the line between personal and business is, is kind of a constantly negotiated line for me. Um, like we use a lot of photos of our, of our kids in promoting our work, which kind of comes with its own questions. Like we're comfortable with it or we wouldn't be doing it that way. But um, the image of yourself that you put out there into the world versus the reality of your kind of messy regular life. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a sales pitch, right? Um, but I think that there's really exciting things in terms of the immediacy, immediacy of communication we could have, like doing online events and um, online teaching. It's starting to feel like that's a thing that could happen in ways that are more interactive rather than just video teaching, but more kind of interactive communications. Um, so that's what I'm kind of excited about. But then there's also the line between, um, do you want to be um, visible online and spending your time on that? Or do you want to go back in your design cave and really spend the time with those needles and yarn and working on your work, right? Bringing your yeah. art forward. You pretty much have to balance it out. You go into the cave and then you come back. Okay, that's pattern writing time. So you have to reach out to your tech editors, to the people who service your sounding board just to make it work. But for me personally, what I couldn't do five years ago and what I noticed that I can do now is people who I could work with and the causes uh, that I can support with the product that they create. Um, there is lots more um, product in the indie scene. So there are a lot of other designers that you may choose to collaborate with, but also the yarns out there that started by small batch companies and uh, just on a whim. And if you really believe in the idea, and again, going back to the single breed specific um, yarns that if you understand the qualities 
and their properties and like for me I design backwards so for me I always am on the lookout and do my own research and I like to learn as much as possible about yarns out there and that helps me create that fabric that I want to put into a sweater or an accessory later on and I know before there were some but versus working with a big corporate companies that have been around for years and yarn that's widely available. I still do that from time to time, but the friends who I have grown up with basically grew, uh, blogging about 12, 10 years ago, like Brooklyn Tweed or Quinson Company when Pam Allen was just at the interweave. So you see how slowly their process became and grew into a company and you, you get a chance to collaborate them shoulder to shoulder and really enjoy the interaction and also the brainstorm that together you can conjure up some really interesting ideas. And uh, to me, five years ago, it was not as easy to get together with uh, colleagues and come up with some interesting projects that may be interesting to many knitters besides education point, you know, there is an idea you're trying to support or, you know, water project or anything that you believe in. Like the craftivism is a big idea these days. Um, I live in Washington DC area and we have experienced a huge surge of craftivism and there are many young companies, local young companies around me, hand dyers, who are really invested besides the yarn stores in supporting the ideas. I think five years ago it might not have been as easy or even projected or expected for it to happen, but needles and yarn can get a lot of things done <laughs> in a way. And working, working with those smaller, working with independent and smaller, like small batch and things, I wonder whether sort of as designers there is a little bit where small batch means that it's potentially a one-off or it might come out twice a year, like does that change? Because there is, you know, the, a, a, if you use a yarn that you know will be there from year yeah. to year, in the same colors with maybe one or two added or taken away, there's a sort of a different consistency to that. So I thought maybe I kind of, I'm curious how that works from the different perspectives of like when you decide like how small. Yeah, I can speak to that. Yeah. <laughs> from our perspective, when we first started, I was very concerned about using, making sure we used yarns that were accessible to people. People could get them, order them. But I don't know what the reason is, but in later times we've started to just use whatever we want, use what intrigues us, use small companies that people aren't going to easily be able to get necessarily. Because I feel like with Ravelry and the current level of education within the yarn community, people know how to substitute. They know yeah. how to go to their local yarn show or their local yarn shop and find something that's similar and will work. Um, so I think we've become a lot more comfortable working with smaller companies for that reason. We kind of let that idea go that it has to be widely available in, yeah. the, in the States perhaps. And I guess Which is just, yeah. it's freeing. Like 
one of the things as a designer I feel is that the more I hem myself in, the more I get a little bit uncomfortable about, oh, I have to do this thing for this deadline. And, and, I, and I like to have the freedom to just dive into whatever's really interesting me at that moment. And that's when a lot of times the really good work comes. I was curious, Olga, you've done a lot of work like for conventional publishing company and for yourself, self-published and with yarn companies. Do you find there's one context that you published in that really well, lets your creative energies flow the best? Uh, well, uh, one of the best probably times that I've produced one of my best work was extreme pressure <laughs> when I had so many deadlines but at the same time just life was taking over and was hanging very heavy on my shoulders and I just had to push it out and just to have thing, make the things work but um, most of the projects that what I work with when you work with the bigger companies or the smaller companies or collaboration I try to alternate them try not to box myself in because otherwise um, very often when you collaborate you are very boxed in and I do not necessarily always enjoy it but I try to find the best out of it in any situation because it gives me an idea if it's a yarn that I haven't tried before but I wanted to try it and also maybe tone it down from what I would usually do for self-publishing but I would not self-publish that piece on my own so I would convert the idea and make it more accessible to knitters and also more comfortable to the yarn project or the yarn company or a yarn store, whoever I collaborate with. So it's a true collaboration. I want to hear what their ideas are. It's not all me, me, me. It's, it's the ideas and the concepts and the colors of the company and their aesthetics that I'm combining my ideas with and I want everybody to see that as well. My personal, I think I can go as crazy as I can, <laughs> and then, and not that I don't care later if whether people are loving it or hating it, but uh, I feel that helps me out to carve out sort of a niche and see if um, there are people out there who might respond to my taste and my personal style. That's the whole reason I design. I design for the reasons that this is something I want to wear right now and I'm a project knitter. So I don't want to be a, just the process. You'll, to me, the process should teach. So if you learn a technique or two that's more stars on my um, palettes, <laughs> but uh, if you uh, w really want to wear the project and are proud of wearing your project, that's just my maybe ultimate goal. You know, if you haven't fun in the process, that's just the sugar on top. And uh, the companies, uh, everybody is very different. They Everybody has different requirements. And uh, magazines like Pom Pom has been amazing to work with. Uh, I have two designs only with them, but I'm hoping for more. And uh, they have such a unique style. So it's always whoever you want to collaborate with. And I find that you have to balance out. It's a constant tug and pull. And as long as you are comfortable doing it, you, you will find your golden medium. 
I found, not speaking to collaboration so much as maybe direction and inspiration, that um, if I choose to dye a color, say, to fill a box, when I started dyeing yarn, I thought I need to have these colors because some people just really love purple or something like that. And at the time, I didn't really like purple at all. I've changed my tune. But um, those colors were kind of, well, they were just sort of generic. And sure, I, I made them, I did stuff to them that made me like them better. They suited me a little more. But it was only when I realized that or decided that I would just dye the colors that I really loved and really wanted to knit with, that I think people responded to them a lot more, and they also looked better to, uh, all together as one package. So might it be fair enough to say that sort of with the growth of, because there are a lot more indie dyers. Absolutely, yes, yeah. And, you know, there are a lot more small breed specific yarns coming out there's a lot more pattern designers but in that would it be fair enough to say that there also becomes this space to actually just buckle down and do what you want to do rather For than sure. trying to guess yeah what there's... the next big thing might be yeah and I don't I don't think I was ever consciously doing that so much yeah. I think I was always just it, it began with me being driven to experiment with dyes, um, learn more about dyeing, and, and to create the colors that I couldn't find, that I really wanted to knit with. So that was the initial motivation. And I always, um, I always thought, oh, you know, I'm not going to do this, this, or this. But within my Emily spectrum of colors, I thought I needed to tick all these boxes off when really I didn't. And now sometimes I look at the colors that I dye and I go, oh man, there's this huge gap here. <laughs> and I'll play around for a day and try to fill it in and then realize that there's a reason why. It's because <laughs> those colors, they just don't fit in there. So it changes too, of course, but I never, um, I try, well no, I don't feel guilty about, about changing because usually if I try to dye a color that I'm not inspired to create, um, it just doesn't work in the end. It doesn't look good. And maybe even if somebody had requested it specially, they end up, it's missing whatever makes the rest of Viola colors work. And so they go, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of learning through. Lots of learning. Failure yeah. Oh, tons of failure. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> did you bring a question? Um, yeah, no, I, I did bring a question. Um, my question was, um, so as we're at POMFest, and I think um, the thing that we all love about Pom Pom is that it's really fashion-led, and there is sort of like a photo shoot, like an editorial photo shoot, there's like one overarching vision to each issue. So I think my question was, has the relationship between like fashion industry and kind of yarn fashion changed in the last five years? And how, you know, do you think they're more aligned, less aligned? You mean, that was my question. You mean like that's what's on a yeah. ready to wear? Yeah, exactly. Like kind of ready to work. wear fashion and knitters fashion and crocheters yeah. fashion. Has it changed? Are they more aligned? Because I wonder about that in the last five years, because I definitely remember sort of thinking about like 10 years ago and sort of bleeding on a bit from there. It felt like a lot of 
the patterns were quite vintage inspired yeah. or yes. like this yeah. really weird kind of yeah. like knitting world pattern yeah, niche exactly. that had like, no cool relationship a yarn show, to... but you couldn't actually wear it in the real world yeah and sort of <laughs> Yeah, maybe, like, I do think that that's sort of slightly gotten yeah. closer, probably, yeah. to, uh, to, like, there is a bit more, like, okay, so if you like these things generally, there may, w that follows, like, I think that inherently, because of the time knitting takes to do... It's not it going to be. It's not going to be that fast or disposable yeah. thing. But I think because of the breadth of patterns, there yeah. is more that you can go. Oh, that's a look I'm trying to go yeah. for. If I want a pattern or if I want a yarn, I can definitely. And I think like designers have got. There used to be. Maybe it was because the yarn that was out there was more one kind of yarn, or maybe it's the the designs were coming much more kind of top down from like bigger fashion houses. So there was this idea that it was making knitting patterns for people that knitted, whereas I think now that it's much more small business led, people do just want to make things that they can wear and maybe fashion has also gotten a bit more interested in knitting again I mean everything does kind of cycle round and cables are like everywhere at the moment aren't they and like malls and but I just thought yeah it would be an interesting kind of question I I've think. noticed there are a lot of uh, exposed unwoven ends worn yeah. in as a public side <laughs> and that makes my inner OCD just cringe a little <laughs> because um ends should be on the inside I don't yeah. know <laughs> I don't know about you but what I'm, about seams yeah, and a lot of exposed Re reverse scenes. Stock, yeah. Reverse stockinette, is that? Oh, yeah. yeah, the yeah. new gig. And uh, I've noticed that actually in the fashion knitwear world, like in the fashion world, that knitwear has picked up steam really quite a bit in the past five, yeah. six years. And it has been in various incarnations from the jumbo weight recently added. Yeah. There's some super duper uber bulky stuff that you see people wearing on the runway. I don't know how actually you can, how portable it is and so you don't drown in it. You know, if it just rains on you. Um, but um, it's certainly very inspirational and very artsy. And uh, I wonder if a lot of the fashion scene actually has been inspired by the world of the hand knitters out mm -hmm. there because Ravelry is now beyond six million, I believe. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure there are a lot of fashion designers out there who are looking in Ravelry like, oh, I can make this. I mean, or even Pinterest boards. Like, I think that oh, that's yeah. been this quite interesting, like, consistently knitters count as early adopters in social media stuff so actually it's entirely possible to imagine that like that's part of I think the reason why fashion designers would be inspired by hand knitting and hand knitting designers because there's that many of us thank you technology there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they're mutually interchangeable you know we get inspired by looking they're yeah. just all it is about is more triggering the path of thinking that will inspire you to create something in hand knitwear. And that is a stitch that has been done on a knitting machine, one of those really fancy fine ones that you can never even think of about doing or recreating by hand. But you can just get the texture idea and 
there are many ways and ways of finding out um, inspiration these days, but I feel that is great to see lots of knitwear and fashion and ready to wear, but uh, if you really want something really well fit, you you will be, if you even if you knit yourself, you definitely would want to try to knit it yourself to make it best fit to you to your shape. Yeah, and I guess with your designs, the tin can designs, I think I always feel like there's this amazing mix of sort of traditional and wearable, but at that, that fits in with things that people wear, but at the very core of it, making it really knitterly, like satisfying. And so I suppose I'm curious about, I imagine that in what you design, other things have been become possible as, yeah, like you were saying, as there's just more knowledge yeah. out there. And I, I feel, it's interesting you say that about our work, because I feel like, our work, partially because we size things from baby all the way through to 4XL, we, in order to make that work in a pattern, you really have to distill things. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times they're pretty simple with a de the detail, the really wow moment of the knitting kind of confined to a certain area. Um, but we're kind of a bit of back to basics. Like we're definitely inspired by the fashion fashion scene and things we see, um, but we're really kind of all about what we just desire to knit and like things that are gonna be very satisfying to knit. So I think that's where, yeah. where what it comes down to in the end. I think we're like a step away from inspired by fashion. That's not to say I, I don't want to go more to that direction with my own work, but um, but for better or worse, um, the designs are very satisfying to knit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is great. We do have an audience that's yeah. very yeah. happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes a sweater is just a sweater, you know, yeah, like yeah. it's three tubes and then it's got a yoke. <laughs> we've, been, we've been kind of obsessed with yokes lately and um, that showed up in the collaborative book, uh, collection that we did, Hard on My Sleeve. And one of the things that's completely unrelated to this that I wanted to say was that we could never have done that charity collaboration and raised 45,000 USD to donate to the Against Malaria Foundation without the, the huge network that we have. Yeah. And so it's really exciting for me personally to be, do, be able to make something happen with an amazing network of designers and be able to do something that big as a as really a tiny two-person business, you know? So, yeah. kudos to the amazing community <laughs> yeah. that we have. <laughs> were, there, were there burning questions that... <laughs> Are there burning questions out there? It's not a typical day for you as designers and makers. There, no two are alike for me, <laughs> um, but... I've learned, I guess, to be uh, very disciplined with my time since I work at home and could ease, well, I do usually work in my pajamas, but I could easily just drink coffee and knit all day long. So um, usually there's, there's work and it mixes into a rest time and it floats back and forth, but there's also always hauling heavy pots of water around and rinsing and spinning and hanging and drying. 
Oh, dear God. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think a typical day, there isn't really one. Um, pajamas? No, no, unfortunately. I have to go to the office, so no pajamas for me. But um, definitely, like, generally, sort of, you know, easy, comfy clothes. Um, but... I don't actually do that much knitting on a day-to-day -day basis. I tend to do knitting when I go home, um, and most of my knitting is design work, so I guess it doesn't really stop in that sense, but I sort of see my design work as not really related to my job, as it were. Um, but I think really it's sort of anything from daydreaming about new pattern, about new yarns and what we might do in the future to then there's also just, you know, I hate to kill the romance, but there's a lot of spreadsheets, you know, most of it is just spreadsheets. Um, and then writing copy, emailing people, um, yeah, but just a lot of a lot of spreadsheets. Sometimes I do get to have fun and sort of play around with fiber and meet the kind of people who produce all our wool for us, which is wonderful. Sometimes we get alpacas visiting, which is nice. Oh. Um, but yeah, most of the time, I think the one thing I wish was the, um, like we've all been saying around the table that I think it's the community and the people yeah. that really make the difference and that's why we all kind of do the jobs that we do and I think it's become way more international and like global in the last five years um, and so that's the one thing that I do wish that there was more of in my day-to-day -day life because it is lovely sort of doing it all on the internet but I think yeah coming to yarn shows is always a highlight as well and actually meeting customers and making those connections with people but no, every day is different. Yeah, I think it is sort of that funny yeah. balance of a daily thing of like, you have the nice emails to answer, you have the ones that feel really work-like, yeah. then you have the social media stuff to attend to. I'm, I'm super crazy proud of myself. Like, I spend time with spreadsheets. Yeah. Like, and maths and numbers. And, and, and some of me sits there on a daily basis and goes, fucking hell. How did I get myself into this? This is not what I thought it would be. Like, this is not. And then I stop and I go, whoa, I've taught myself this. Like, because there aren't. As I think, like, we all start in these funny places and it's not kind of a job that you do that starts from this place of like, okay, you went to training and now you've got a B-Tech in this and now you're working with these people. It's always like you're working it out and part of that does become this huge... Like, it's a joy on a daily basis, but also a frustration. And then it is like, oh, I'm doing this. Like, I'm doing spreadsheets. I've done all these numbers. I know how to make this fit big boobies and little ones. Like, it's those, you know, it's those things. And you could, and then there are days where I totally trick myself, where I'm like, okay, I, you know, I'll, I'll have, like, watched a, a tutorial and then you go, all oh, those Americans, they always have such nice manicures. And then it's like, oh, I know, if I put nail polish on, then I can't knit, because knitting is always the thing that I would like to do. 
but it's kind of the thing that you end up having yeah. almost the least no, time or the yeah. thing that you can put off most so one of the ways that I've recently started tricking myself out of knitting is like if I put nail polish on then I can't knit and then I sit there and I wonder oh so how come everybody has nice nails when they can't knit while they're doing it but I do it so then I have to sit there and answer my emails because it's got to dry and you can kind of just use the top part of your fingers like that so a lot of the day is how to strike a balance but also how to trick or like treat yourself into doing the bits that are harder because yeah Yeah. and like Usually, it's also like a lot of really nice working with other people. So you have these great emails and the collaboration, and then but then you're also working out like how do you write that email so that it's like okay, this is the shit we have to get done. And <laughs> and but I also want to find out about like how your holiday was. Like, is your mum still driving you crazy? Is you know, it's like because we are all like I think we kind of like there is quite a lot it's this inherently social community like nice Mm -hmm. supportive thing but then you're also trying to get stuff done yeah Alexa and I we usually meet twice weekly um, at 6 30 in the morning over here um, before my kids wake up so we kind of like we have the chat like oh it's so-and-so's birthday and oh you're buying a new house and I want to maintain a relationship with her because she's pretty much my best friend ever and my business partner and But then we're like, okay, we got to stop this. What do we got to get done? Like, what's happening this week? Who's dealing with each email? Like, let's discuss this opportunity, this opportunity. How are you going to say no to this one and no to this one and no to this one? (laughs) Um, And and how are you going to pitch this this idea for this project? So it's definitely a really fun but kind of constantly negotiated um, work versus play sort of job. But it's mostly a lot of answering emails, updating websites, <laughs> doing the math, and I don't know. But I love it a bit, so I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't want anything different. I just want to do more knitting, so. Yeah. More knitting, more swatching, more designing, and really push myself forward. I begin my day always with a cup of coffee because otherwise I just don't function. I'm not a morning person. I tend to do most of my creative work at night, but in the morning, just when you're rolling out of bed, you go straight to emails. I think you deal with uh, nicer or not so nicer ones right away. Just you know, begin your day and get it over with. Um, most of the day, because I work from home, it is also quite hard to balance out what things you can do at home while something else needs to get done work-wise. And uh, I find that the best way is just to get the most mundane ones out of the door first, like mail some packages, mail some patterns, and uh, answer the emails, and imagine what you're going to do for the social media this day if you're doing anything. But the mathematics and um, just dealing with um, interaction sometimes takes the most part of the day because um, as much as I enjoy talking to people and knitters um, online or via Ravelry or via social media, I think it's crucial to the part of my business and people, when you knit something and you don't understand something, they want an immediate response. So I try to make myself available within a certain period of time. During the day, I usually don't get to knit at all. 
but the swatching and uh, the creative part where you have something that you have to create for a project or something that you finally found the right, correct yarn for and you can swatch. And because where I live, it's really loud in the, during the afternoon, so there are helicopters, planes, fire trucks, just plane trucks and traffic. <laughs> so as soon as it's around 11 p.m., that's my midnight oil comes on. And about till one or two o'clock in the morning, I either knit or I swatch. And right before I go to bed, I sometimes fight solutions for Uh, sweater problems, construction problems that might have been bugging me for weeks and I could not solve them, but um, I find when it's the most quiet, I do the, my most productive, creative work. But I guess during the light hours when everybody's up, I do the, the thick of it. And uh, these days people ask, I see quite a bit on Ravelry, oh, what is it like to be a designer? And you don't actually get to knit 24-7 as much as you wish to. You may have some, find some really good help with a couple of good sample knitters, but those are very hard to find as well. And that's a relationship to maintain Exactly. Well. And uh, for me, um, maybe just because how I'm personal, personally, I knit a lot of, about 90% of my own samples and I don't wear them and I maintain them because I want the work to carry on, that the shops have the best experience when they host a trunk show. And for me, I want to be just a knitter while I knit it because I can discover some new things I can add and remove, but it's just the entire process um, that is the most enjoyable for me. And even though it takes away from my sleep, but I guess I'll sleep <laughs> when I'm dead. <laughs> I guess in that sense, in a way, like it sounds like we end up doing a lot of like the creative work and the the like the knitting bit actually is the almost the after hours and then the design like the the being the professional is what takes a full day and you're still kind of cramming the knitting into like the down like what would be downtime yeah Yeah. since like my schedule has changed a lot since having kids because I've Right now, I only have three mornings a week with childcare with both my kids in childcare, so it's about nine hours. So on those mornings, I do the hard work. Like if I've got a pattern to develop, like got to grade this pattern, that's the time that I do it. I, I like turn off my, um, my internet on my laptop so I can't be tempted to like hop onto any social media. There's an app And for that. that <laughs> yeah. Oh, I need to get that. And then I just do, do the work. But that's something that I came through like, I came to because it was absolutely necessary. Like I just couldn't get away with the sort of deadline craziness and the staying up really late to get those critical bits of work done. Also, I'm just a better morning worker, but you come to these best practices in working as you, as you go, right? We, we're all a lot more experienced in our craft than we were when we started or than five years ago, right? Definitely. I think uh, with every single project, with every single design that you do next, you learn something that you possibly have not done yet or you elevate yourself as a designer. I mean, I'm a teacher by education, but I have learned one thing that no matter what you teach, you could never be sure of your knowledge because there is going to be always something else new to learn. And knitting is like language to me because 
language is carried by people. You talk it. There are different dialects, and there are some new words popping up all the time. And there's always new knitting ideas and new knitting techniques and concepts rediscovered again. But you may discover them through, you know, learning them from somebody else or doing it on your own. And uh, you always want to be open to those. And, and you really want to have those precious hours when you yeah. develop it and find that. And so you feel like you're doing something important. Too. Yeah. And the fluency that you gain, like, speaking of it as a language, the fluency that you gain after developing patterns and knitting and learning new techniques over the course of years. Like, I'm very excited about our work because of the things that, I, that we can do now that we couldn't do before. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Like Absolutely. you look at the work of designers who've been in the field for years and years, like Nora Gon, or like Alice Starmore, or people who've really been perfecting their craft over decades. And you're like, wow, like maybe one day after I've practiced for years and years more, I'll approach like pieces of work like that. So. Do you really feel pressure to become a brand? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I'm approaching it um, in the same way that I do creating colors. That um, the reason why people have enjoyed Viola Yarn, um, and perhaps like me, is that I am just doing what I want to do. So I, th I think rather than trying to fit what I'm doing and myself into certain constraints, um, not necessarily anyone else's expectations, but perhaps even what I think a brand should be and what it should entail. Um, I think that that is kind of stifling and has ruined the point when I've tried. So I've opted for do what feels right and the directions I want to go in are, are probably going to be best for me. So would it be fair to kind of like just acknowledge that in that sense we all are brands? Yes, yeah. but the, should do you know, like, like in yeah. that, yeah, in that sense, like, and I feel like for me, same thing, like you embrace that and you go, okay, well, if that's the fact, it's going to be easier if it's something you enjoy doing than pretending to be something else. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, like, for me personally, at least, I have real phases with it. So sometimes I like... I'm really enjoying all the social media and I just can't get enough and I will spend sort of hours really planning things and, you know, posting things. And then sometimes actually I start feeling like I just need a bit of me time again to like recuperate and I think that's fine. I think it really is just like, you know, at the end of the day, like Emily said, if you're not enjoying yourself, then it's going to show. So I think it's just about having fun with it and yes it is a business and it's very serious but you need to be kind to yourself very well you know like yeah and and the thing that I often think about is because there'll be this there'll be this flurry of like oh but you never see you know you never see the you know the kid who's wet themselves or the pile of laundry in the background or the dishes or and from that point of view for me it's been a case of going I wouldn't like it's not like I'd hide those things, but if you're going to show it, make a way that it's interesting because nobody needs to see dishes because they have their own dishes, right? And anybody who thinks that you don't have dirty laundry and dishes probably needs to have like a bit of a realization moment that they're not the only one with dishes. <laughs> so I don't think you need to be responsible for that, but 
in those moments where if you are sharing things about you, like it is fair enough to go like this is happening, but make it an interesting angle on that. And I think one of the things that I've occasionally struggled with is like, I know I try to keep it on the sort of the funny and the positive and those things. But what will happen is when something bad happens, you get this amazing influx of like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, that's terrible. And you can see it in all these feeds. And it's something that I think about quite a bit. It's like, that's where we give support and that's absolutely wonderful. But then you can also see people who where that almost becomes part of a personal brand. And that's also then a choice, right? Like if what we're doing, if we are businesses, and that means that what we do is a brand, then if your brand is woe is me, that's something to consider. Like, maybe that works. <laughs> it's not what I choose. And I do, like, there are times where I kind of look and I go, whoa, somebody's making a brand out of this or, you know, like this trauma. And it's fine, and you want to share it because it's something that's happening, but I think that's where I edit, like where you're talking about what, how much of kids you show yeah. or how much of that. It's also like being aware of that, that you're using a kid. I think what also needs to happen is being aware of whether you make trauma part of your brand too. And it's incredibly important that we share a lot of things that's happening. And I think that a really amazing thing that's also been happening is that there is more of like mental health stuff gets discussed. And that's phenomenally important because I do think it's really helped make that something that is much more present and much more possible to discuss. But that line of where that yeah. Yeah, and like Olga was saying earlier, like political stuff as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's this has been a more of crazy, an expectation. Yeah, it's, it's to <laughs> plant your flag in the in yeah. the sand, right? Yeah. But then it's a question of: yeah. Are you doing it just because everyone's? Are you saying this yeah. thing just because everyone's saying it? Yeah. Are you planting your flag in the sand when? I don't know. We try to have it come across in the things that we do yeah. and the things that yeah. the, the take the perspective we take on things, but we're always struggling with it. Yeah. What to say, like, about the things that are so personally important and so tightly held to you. How, how do you edit that? How do you put that forward in a public persona? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll answer in five years. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. And Thank you. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>well, we hope you enjoyed that talk from Pomfest, uh, where there was a wall and there was weight. So uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for discussing that, uh, guys. <laughs> So thanks again to Emily, Olga, Sonia, and Emily, yep. <laughs> double Emily, and Anna, um, and to the sound technicians who recorded everything for us at Pomfest and were, well, they were really delightful. They were, they? they were a laugh. They certainly were. So next uh, month, next episode, we'll have Saturday's discussion. Mm. So again, slightly different format for the podcast again, uh, while Eli is being a dad, <laughs> and uh, we hope you enjoy it. Bye. We love you. Bye. <laughs>
podcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott. With lots of help from Eli Block, who created the original music for the show. For more Eli-related music, go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks as always to Megan Fernandez, co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Quarterly. And thanks also to the lovely Amy and Gail. Thanks to our panel members, Emily Vessel, Olga Broyak-Felian, Sonia Bajolowska, Emily Foden, and for Adam Maltz for being our host. Of course, a big thank you to all you Pom Pom buyers, subscribers, and listeners. You can buy your copy of the magazine and subscribe too at the online shop, pompommag.com forward slash shop. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and why not leave a review? Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com. And don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum. Bye.